welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. Revelation chapter 19. Oh, coming up on the screen, I've got a picture. This is Mr. David Platt. He is, in my opinion, one of the most pure biblical teachers of our time. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, well, Brian, what about like John MacArthur or, or David Jeremiah or Adrian Rogers? Well, yes, they were all great biblical teachers as well. But just as they were once a young generation coming up and becoming the uh, standard of biblical preachers, I believe David Platt is that next, that next line of biblical preachers. I've been reading a book of his this week called Radical. And if you, um, if you read books, I think it's a book that you would really enjoy. But one of the sections on the book is about uh, witnessing to others and winning people to Christ as our mission as believers. And I just wanted to tell you one of the things that David Platt had done that I read in the book I thought was really interesting. At the time that David was um, referring to, he lived in New Orleans at this time, and New Orleans was his mission field. So one of the things that you might know about New Orleans is New Orleans is not exactly known as a city... Uh, can we say on fire for God? I think that would be putting it very nicely. And in New Orleans, there's an area called the French Quarter. This is where the famed Bourbon Street is. Uh, this is where a lot of tourists go. And this area, because it has had so many tourists, has an area where there are many people who will offer to tell you your, their fu- or tell you your future by either reading your palm or, or consulting with the spirits or reading tarot cards or something like that. Now, let me just say this before we go any farther. This isn't the point of the message, but if at any point somebody tells you that they can read your palm or tell you the future or speak to somebody that has passed away for you or bring a message from the other side for you, there's really only two options of how that happens. Number one, it's a fake. That's the best option, which means that if you give them your money to read your palm or something like that, that's, that's not going to be good for you. Number two, and also very prevalent, especially in New Orleans, is there are people who can actually do this, but they do so through the power of demonic spirits. Now that might sound very movie-ish or something like that. That is straight biblical that there have been people able to tell the future, to read the future and things of that nature. But if they can actually do that, that's demonic. So if you go to the French Quarter and you ask one of these two people or these people to do this, you're either going to get one of two scenarios. Number one, you're going to get a fake who's going to take your money. Or even worse, you're going to get somebody who can actually do it and you're going to tie yourself to some demonic spirits because New Orleans is full of people who um, do practice voodoo, which is a real thing. Now I said all that to say this, David Platt went down there and he walks through this area with these people that just set up card tables on the side of the road and they would say put up signs and say for five dollars I'll read your palm I'll tell you your future for ten dollars I'll read the cards for you and tell you what's coming next in a big decision in your life for fifteen dollars and David Platt thought I can do that too so he and his buddies went down to the French Quarter and they took a card table and they set it out in the middle of all these people that are psychics and reading palms and all of that and he put up a sign and he said I'll tell you your future for free. And this got a lot of people's attention because obviously you can go to the guy who's going to charge you $15 or you can go to the guy who's going to do it for free. So a lot of people would sit down and he would start to ask them questions. And he, he said, I can tell you without a shadow of the doubt what your future is by asking you only two questions and I'll do it for free out of the goodness of my heart. And here's the two questions that he asked. He asked, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? 
And this is America, and whether or not we're Christian or not, there is a cultural understanding of a concept of heaven or hell. And so most people go, well, when I die, I get to go to heaven. Like, it's going to be good. And then David Platt would follow up with the second question. He would say, why do you think that? What makes you think that you're going to get to go to heaven? And based on the answer of that question, if they said, well, because I've done a lot of good things, or if they said, because I'm not Hitler, or if they said, because I know Jesus Christ, David could tell them without a shadow of a doubt what their future held. And he used this as a ministry opportunity to tell people their future with and without Jesus. And today, today, I'm going to pull a trick. You're so lucky to be here. I'm going to tell you your future today using the very same trick that David did, using nothing but a Bible and the story that's told in it. If you're just joining us, we've been in a series called uh, The Dilemma, and we've been tracking down this problem, and really it is the problem of the scripture, and it's the problem of sin in our lives. And sin brings with it an inherent consequence of death for us, up until the point that Jesus shows up on the stage and he says, you know what, I'll take that death for you. I'll die for you to give you access to God so that you no longer have to live separated from him and in your sin. And we studied last week that although David, or I'm sorry, David, although Jesus died and then he was once again resurrected, after 40 days, he ascended into heaven with a promise, I am coming back. And all we really know about that promise is that that is in some time, in some way connected to the end times, sometimes connected to what we would consider the end of the world, which is spelled out in Revelation. And as I've studied this, I, I love this study. I have never studied Revelation as deeply as I have the past couple of weeks. I, I love this because what I've realized about Revelation today and what I, what I think that the scripture is going to spell out for us is the entire book of Revelation is just God revealing his glory. For all of the twists and turns of Revelation, the whole point of the story of Revelation is God just saying, look, this is, this is who I am. This is the power that I have. This is what I offer you. You get to choose if you choose me or not. So in order to show us this glory, God has allowed or ordained or however you would want to say it, he has allowed a situation where an individual will come to power. We know this individual as the Antichrist. You will hear him referred to in the Bible as the beast. And there's been lots of speculation about who is or what is this Antichrist. Where is he coming from? Some people are sure that he must be Jewish, and there's some backing for that. Some people believe that um, this Antichrist will be the leader of a reborn Roman Empire, which if you look at our current history is interesting. We currently have a group of nations called the European Union, and they take up basically what used to be the Roman Empire. So some people think, well, the Antichrist, if he comes in, middle to, in modern times, will be coming from... Um, the European Union, a reborn Roman Empire. Some people believe he's going to be the Pope. I don't know. But here's what we do know about the Antichrist in the Bible. The Antichrist will be a world leader. And the Antichrist will not be what we think of when you hear Antichrist, like some guy with fire in his eyes and little horns, and you're like, oh, that's a bad guy. He's going to be so powerful. He's going to be charismatic. I don't see any, it doesn't say this in the Bible, I don't see any way that this person is not attractive in some way, good looking, and he's going to create something called a cult of personality where people will follow him. Now, if you don't know what a cult of personality is, you see this a lot of times in dictatorships and governments. People like Hitler and Joseph Stalin and uh, Benito Mussolini, they all had cults of personality. Basically, what they said is they said, you've got problems, and I'm the answer to that. And we see this in American politics sometimes. Some presidents choose to f uh, uh, chase re-election through cults of personality. It's not an inherently evil thing. It's just saying that I am the answer to the problems. If you will follow me, I will give you what you want. 
And this Antichrist comes onto the scene with this cult of personality where people will flock to him and follow him and believe him for everything. And with that cult of personality, with that power, this Antichrist is going to rise from a low-level leader to a world stage leader to the leader of the entire world. Stick, stick in Revelation 19. I'm going to meet you there in a few minutes, but I've got a couple other scriptures here. Listen to this. This is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <coughs> Speaking on the Antichrist, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped so that he is as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this Antichrist is going to be so popular that people are going to eventually say, could he be God? And the Antichrist very humbly will go, you figured it out. I can't believe you know, here I am, I am God. And so not only will he be a world leader, but many in the world will claim that he is God. Now, my question is, how does somebody believe that a regular person is God? Like I could tell you guys, I'm God, and you wouldn't believe me, or at least I hope you wouldn't. So what will be the, the proof that this man is God? What will people believe that he is God for? Well, if you continue on reading through the story and studying the Antichrist, there will be a couple of things that will come about. Number one is this Antichrist is going to have powers that cannot be explained, some kind of supernatural power. This Antichrist will also have a false prophet, somebody who will proclaim and claim that this is God, that they have the authority to speak on this. And in Revelation 13, maybe the biggest thing that we see is this Antichrist will be killed or at least on the very brink of death. The Bible literally says he receives a fatal head wound. Yet, that wound will magically be healed in some way. And people will start to ask questions. Who could do this but God? Who could die and come back to life but God? And what we see here is that Satan is setting up this Antichrist to appear as the promised Messiah. Listen to this when it comes to the, the beast in uh, the Antichrist in Revelation. This is Revelation 13, 5. It says, The beast was giving a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years, the second half of that tribulation period we discussed last week. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nations. That's worldwide power that this Antichrist had. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. I'm going to say that again. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast because they will believe that he is God. But it continues. All those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Everybody say Lamb's book of life. Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So we're going to break this down. But our first take-home truth here is a powerful worldwide leader will be accepting, accepted as God. And this brings us a biblical issue here, a biblical problem or a bi biblical picture of what's going to be happening at this. The Bible lays out the division in the world. There's going to be the masses of the world. Everybody in the world is going to look at this Antichrist and say, this is God. There is proof. We will worship and we will follow him. But there's a group of dissenters, a group of people who will not follow the Antichrist. And it just refers to them as the people whose name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. We're going to talk some more about that as time goes on. But what you need to know about the people written in the Lamb's Book of Life, this is simply a list of people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
So what you'll see is you'll have the masses of the world will accept the Antichrist as God. They will worship him and they will hate anybody who opposes him. But then there will be believers in the world who will not worship him. Because they say, I know who God is. I know that Jesus Christ is God. And I cannot worship this man as God because I know he is not Jesus Christ. And they refuse to worship him for those reasons. And for that reason, they will be hunted and killed. Now, what you see in this, and you will continue to see in the story as we continue, is that there is no middle ground. The Bible doesn't say, well, a lot of people liked the beast, and there were a few Christians who didn't, and there are some people who didn't care. You're going to be on one side or the other. There is no middle ground with this. Either people will worship the beast, or they will be die hard, washed in the blood, believers in Jesus Christ, who refuse to worship a false god. And that sets us up for where we're at in our scripture today. Revelation 19 begins to tell us what's going to happen. Because the question is, how long will God let somebody sit on a throne on this earth and claim to be him? How long will God let somebody be king of this world? And the answer to that is not very long. God's not going to have this. This is verses 11 through 16 of Revelation 19. This is John speaking. He's seeing into heaven. He's seeing into the future by the power of God. And he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. By the way, this is speaking of Jesus Christ getting ready to return and make war. And he was clothed in a vestiture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of, the, and out of his mouth goes a, so, a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vestiture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a picture of Jesus Christ as he comes back to rule the world. And this is so different than what we really think of when we think of Jesus. Like, if I ask you to envision, envision Jesus right now. Chances are you're going to see a guy with some long brown hair, beard, kind of shaggy. I don't know why. Blue sash. Got to have the blue sash, right? Maybe, maybe you have the, the visual of the defeated body of Jesus Christ just hanging limp on a cross, naked and beaten and bloody. When Jesus leaves this world, that's what we see. But when he comes back, when he comes back to rule the world, he doesn't look the same anymore. His glory is revealed. He's riding a white horse. His eyes are blazing with fire. He is shining as God with his own blood, the blood of righteousness dripping off of him. And he's got a sword and an army and he's coming back and he's ready to claim his title, king of the world. How awesome is that to think of? Like everything we see today, everything we deal with, all of the pain that we see, all of the injustice we see in the world is gonna be fixed one day because this Jesus is coming back He's coming back to rule the world. But there's a problem. There seems to be a king of the world already. Like generally when a new king invades a kingdom, the old king doesn't just step aside and go, okay, sure, you can have it. Sorry, was I in your seat? 
Like, like the Antichrist is sitting here and he's claiming to be the king of the world. He's not going to step aside and just let Jesus come in and go, oops, I'm sorry, I messed up. I was holding your seat. I hope it's warm for you. No, the Antichrist is going to prepare for war against him. And there's going to be a battle as there is when one king invades the kingdom of another. This is what we call the battle of Armageddon. Listen to this. This is verse 19. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to keep coming back to this. John speaking. He sees Jesus coming back ready to wage war. And then he also sees this. And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So we see this awesome picture of what's about to happen in this battle. Here comes Jesus riding on a white horse, a triumphant king riding into battle. And the Antichrist gathers the, uh, gathers the armies of the world in all of his mind, and he prepares to fight back against Jesus. This is going to be a huge battle. And I love the way that the Bible sets this up. The Bible sets this up like at the beginning, you guys ever watch like UCF or boxing or UFC rather or, or boxing? Like th there's always that announcer guy that, that starts off and he sets up the fight for you. As a matter of fact, it's a specific person. This is Michael Buffer coming up, a picture coming here. He is an announcer for the prize fighter, for, uh, for prize fighters. He's the guy that walks out in the middle of the ring in his tuxedo and the microphone drops from the thing and he grabs it and he starts introducing the fight. You don't know it, but you've heard his voice. This is the man who coined the term, uh, you know, let's get ready to rumble. That's this guy. And, and the way the Bible's setting this up, it's almost like Michael Buffer has his microphone and he's introducing these two fighters. Like he's like, and in this corner, he has powers and wonders, performers, uh, performer of all kinds of signs, accompanied by the kings of all nations with 12,000 nuclear weapons, 73,000 tanks, and an army of 10 million soldiers. It is the beasts. And you can almost hear the crowds going wild. By the way, I, looked those, I Googled those numbers. Those are the real numbers of what the world could put together as a one world military. 12,000 nuclear weapons, 73,000 tanks, 10 million troops. That's the 10 world's largest armies put together. And then he introduces Jesus. He says, and in this corner, he once was dead, but now he's alive. He comes back calling himself the son of God, riding a white horse. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And you see this battle's about to happen. It's going to be huge. Like you can just hear somebody going, all right, let's get ready to rumble. Who's going to win? Let's read verse 20 again here, or verse 20 next. So we have this huge setup, a big battle's coming up. And then in verse 20, and the beast was taken. That word means captured. And, and the beast was captured. I think I missed something here. Let's go back. Let's read verse 19 again. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Big battle is brewing. Verse 20, and the beast was captured. Like what a letdown the scripture gives us. This huge battle is coming up. We're getting ready for this huge fight. And all of a sudden, like, like there's no battle. There's no struggle. There's no war. Like just that simple. And the beast was captured. He's got all of his armies, but the beast was captured. That's all there is to it. And I love what the Bible's laying out for us. It sets up this huge battle between Jesus and this Antichrist. It looks like it is going to be the battle to end all battles, and it's over in a blink of an eye. It's like everything the world has to throw at Jesus, nuclear weapons, tanks, soldiers, everything the world has to offer lined up against Jesus Christ. And Jesus is just like, huh, that's cute. 
What are we going to do? See, what the Bible is revealing to us here is that with this, this fight that's not even a fight, a clear message, our next take-home truth is Jesus has the right and power to rule this world. And it's not even close. It's not even kind of close. Nothing that we can put against Jesus is going to come close to rivaling him and his power and his might. No matter how strong we think we are, how smart we think we are, nothing can oppose God. And that's a hard truth for us. Because now I have to look at the world after seeing this and I was like, everything I know, everything I think is powerful, I have to look at and say, that's not even close. That, that, that can't fight Jesus? Like the whole world together cannot even like slow Jesus down? And that's insulting to me because as a human, what do I think? Is the world revolves around me. As humans, what do we think? Like it's all really about us. But Jesus blows that notion out of the water when he comes back in. See, that's the appeal of the Antichrist to people. The Antichrist is not going to come in and be like, here's a bunch of rules that you don't want to follow. Let's follow them. The Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to sell you, you. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Oh, you don't like rules that say you can or can't live this way? Don't follow those. I'll tell you, you can live whichever way that you want to. Every religion is right. But what we see is the Antichrist in this battle with Jesus Christ is just a cheap knockoff. It's like the Wizard of Oz. How many of you have seen that movie? Let me see your hand. Make sure everybody's still awake. At the Wizard of Oz, at the end of it, at the end of the Wizard of Oz, uh, they go back to the wizard and the wizard is like this weird floating head and there's smoke and there's fire and there's flames and there's this big booming voice and they're sitting there and they're talking to him and they're all shaking and all of a sudden they look over and there's a curtain. And when you pull the curtain back, it's, it's just a dude behind a curtain with some fancy tricks. Like he appears to be the guy who has all the answers. He appears to have all kinds of power, but the Wizard of Oz is just a man behind a curtain with some fancy tricks that makes him look powerful. And what Jesus does in this battle and what our scripture reveals to us is that this Antichrist is, he's just a dude with some fancy tricks. And what's so scary about that is so many people are gonna pour their whole life, and let me take that back, not their whole life, they're gonna pour their eternities into following this individual instead of following the all-powerful Jesus Christ. And so I've got a question for you. Which side are you personally going to choose? Are you going to choose the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, or are you going to choose some dude with some fancy tricks behind a curtain? And you may be sitting there and thinking like, well, Brian, you, you phrase that in the, in the present. Like I, like I have to make a choice right now. Isn't this happening in the future? Maybe I'll be dead. Uh, hopefully we'll be raptured by then. Like, do I have to make this choice? Is it really important? Well, yeah, because it's, it's a future choice. It's choices that people have to make in the future, but it's, it's also a present choice. It's, it's a choice that we must make today. Do we choose the side of the Antichrist or do we choose the side of Jesus, Jesus Christ? Uh, let me explain to you why that's a choice that we make in the present. In 1 John, I don't have time to go into all the scripture, but I encourage you to go home and fact check me on this. 1 John chapters 2 and 3, there, there is a discussion of the Antichrist. And there's a discussion of what the Antichrist is. And the, and the Antichrist, it, it reveals to us, is a physical person in the future, this beast that's match, uh, mentioned in Revelation. But the Antichrist in 1 John 2 through 3 is referred to as the spirit of the Antichrist. And the spirit of the Antichrist is this ever-present spirit in our world that is moving in our world, preparing for this battle that we're moving towards. 
And the, the key, the hallmark of this spirit is that this spirit moves us to confess anything to be God except for the real God. See, the spirit of the Antichrist is in that entertainment that we watch that glorifies sin and says that it's okay. Uh, the spirit of this Antichrist is in our family and friends who try to pull us from God. The spirit of the Antichrist is in political movements in which people challenge God's morality. I don't know if you watched the news this week, but, but there's this huge thing with Roe v. Wade, and, and people are so angry that this might go the other way. That's the spirit of the Antichrist moving in our world and preparing God, people to, um, to attack God. This, this is in racism, when, when people say that I do not um, believe what God says when he says people are created in my image. This is in, the spirit of Antichrist is in when we are tempted with money. It's in riots and murders and fights and lifestyles. And if you're honest and if you look at your life and say, what is in my life? What am I exposing myself to that does not glorify God? That is exposure in your life to the spirit of the Antichrist. We can see it in the world we can see it in our own lives. See, not the person, but the spirit of that person is already present and is already working in our world. And again, in John chapters two and three, it says, you are looking for the Antichrist. There are many, many Antichrists, with an S on the end, plural, many Antichrists. People who come into the world that, that operate under the spirit of the Antichrist, operate under this hatred of God. Martin Luther was convinced that the Pope of his time was the Antichrist. Maybe he was a a antichrist but not the antichrist nero was a roman emperor, emperor who persecuted christians he was not the antichrist but he was a antichrist uh, adolf hitler joseph stalin killing people world slaughter of jewish people they were not the antichrist but they were a antichrist see this same spirit that moves in all of those movements is moving across the world and this is the spirit that will grip the whole world and teach the world to worship the Antichrist. So our next take-home truth is this. A spirit of Antichrist is and has been moving in our world. And for that reason, that brings us to the next take-home truth after that quick hitter here. Even now, we must choose our side. So I've got to look at my life. I've got to look in a mirror and I've got to ask myself, what, what marks my life? Is my life marked by being a part of the kingdom of God and serving the king of kings? Or is my life marked by things that, things that are against God? The effects of the spirit of the Antichrist in and around me. And as we make that decision and we ask ourselves, is it with me to follow God or to, or to rebel against God? Which one is the spirit within me? It helps if we're making that decision to look at this battle. Because when we look at this battle, it makes it very clear what the right answer is. Like I'm looking at this battle and here comes Jesus and I know Jesus. I know him personally. And I'm looking at this and like there's these armies of people and they're going to stand up against Jesus and I'm going, that's not going to work out well for you. Why would you do that? Why would you oppose God? I mean, it's not even, it's not even possible for you to defeat him. But it's just as dumb today for us to look at this world and say, no, I don't, I don't want to follow God. I, I rebel against him. I choose not to believe that he is who he says he is. I choose to do what I want with my life. That is just as dumb as those people who stand up with swords and guns and try to fight an ever-living, ever-present God. How, how dumb can people be? And how dumb was I once? And were we all once? If you continue reading through the story, this beast, after being captured, is thrown into the lake of fire. 
we were talking about this. Jared was going to sing us a special this morning. He said he's going to sing Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. I said, you got to sing Lake of Fire if you're going to sing this morning. But, but this, this, uh, this Lake of Fire that is mentioned in Revelation is what we think of when we think of hell. It's literally a lake of fire. Like it can't be described any better. It's fire and brimstone and heat. It's complete separation from God. It's eternal torment. Jesus referred to this as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is the destination of that beast who took the place of God. See, this is the cost of rejecting God is being placed here. He said, bro, Brian, isn't, isn't that harsh? Like lake of fire for people and hell and punishment. Isn't that harsh? Isn't that what a good and loving God would not do? Uh, that's not true at all. See, God will honor your choice and the choice is yours. You can choose to live with God or opposed to God. But if you live this life opposed to God, you will experience eternity away from God. It's not my choice. It's not even really his choice. That's a choice he gives to you. He honors your decision. If you don't want him, he does not force himself on you. But even at that, even with the beast being thrown in the lake of fire, that's not the main problem. The beast is just a puppet. And with a puppet, like I love those puppets that are like the, the strings. With a puppet, it's a puppet master. Somebody's, somebody's pulling the strings. Somebody's making things work during this time period. And so while the beast is an issue, the beast is not the issue. The, the issue is, is Satan. And using the beast, using the Antichrist, using this world, he's trying to overthrow God. He's trying to defeat Christ. And it's not the first time he's tried this. The Bible tells us he was thrown out of heaven for starting a rebellion against God. He had already tried one time before. The Bible doesn't specifically say this, but it doesn't take a whole lot of reading in between the lines to realize that the spirit of hatred for Jesus Christ, the spirit of the Antichrist... That, that led to Jesus being crucified where people in a group chant crucify this man he heals people he loves people he's good in every way let's kill him that's Satan again trying to overthrow God's plan and here in Revelation we see that is what God is doing and when we when we look at this this trying to overthrow him when we look at Satan versus God we have like this mindset this is the classic good versus evil like, Satan and God are basically equal. They're just opposing for each other. What will win, good or equal? That's the way we look at it. We look at it like it's, like it's Batman and the Joker. Superman and Lex Luthor. The Razorbacks and LSU. Like, one good, one evil. That was a better joke than that, guys. Come on. Like, like, like one good, one evil, but they're basically equal. And I think we look at that that way. But I want you to read what the Scripture says here. This is chapter 20, if you've still got your Bibles open. We're skipping over the next chapter. Verses 1 through 3. After this battle, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of a bottomless pit and great chains in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Like we look at this, like it's God versus Satan, good versus equal, or good versus evil, like they are equal. But what we see here is it's like Satan's an afterthought to God. Like this all goes down. God's watching it. He's in charge. Jesus is ruling over the world. It's like, oh yeah, that Satan guy's annoying me. And he sends an angel. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even give Satan the benefit of his own presence, of his own punishment. He sends his lackey. Please go take Satan and throw him in a bottomless pit. I'm tired of that guy. He's not, he's not even present. 
And it tells you the difference. This is another proof. Jesus can come in and he can win the battle of Armageddon without a battle. Satan can throw, uh, God can throw Satan in a bottomless pit with just an angel. Like there is no comparison of power here. It's like a, it's like a dog catcher is the way I read that. Like maybe here you can get a hold of the mayor, but like if you go to New York City, that's a big city. And I would dare anybody to like try to email the mayor of New York City about a dog problem. Hey, I got a dog. He's getting in my trash and stuff like that. Like the mayor's not going to read your email on that. What's he got? He's got, some, he's got some lower level workers that their job is to go catch dogs. He's not going to concern himself with that. And when you look at God versus Satan, God's like, send the dog catcher. I don't have time to deal with this. Just send an angel. And there's a clear message in what God is saying here. And he's saying it to Satan and all those who choose to deny God. He's saying, you think you can defeat me? I took your Antichrist and all of his armies and I defeated them in an instant. I took everything the world had to muster and it didn't even phase me. I sent my butler to capture Satan. God is saying here, my power is unquestionable. So our next take home truth is no power on earth or in heaven can compare or compete with God. It tells us that Satan here is chained and he's thrown in a deep, never-ending pit for a thousand years. And there he is not allowed to do his work. He's not allowed to deceive anybody for a thousand years. But the world continues on. The battle of Armageddon is not the end of the world. Those who survive the tribulation and who survive the, the um, um, uh, battle of Armageddon will continue to live. And for the next thousand years, Jesus sits on a throne in Jerusalem, ruling the world as the righteous ruler of this world for 1,000 years. And this was really the whole point of where I was going today, and it ended up being a, kind of a footnote in the overall power of what's going on. And you know what happens for that thousand years? For that thousand years, people that are believers of his, we get to rule under him. We, we will be here together with him. We will be the government. We will be the kingdom of Christ under him. And he will rule for 1,000 years. But after 1,000 years, it's time for round two. Uh, kick your Bibles over. We're going to continue reading here. This is verses 7 through 10 of 20. And when the 1,000 years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went on the breadth of the earth and compassed the city, compassed means surrounded, so surrounded the city of the saints about and the, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. See, after a thousand years, Satan is released. I don't know why. The Bible doesn't say why. It just says that he is released. But I think the purpose of this is God has always given you a choice. Who do you choose to follow? Do you choose to live your life under the deceiver or worshiping the king? It is your choice. And after a thousand years, God releases Satan where he once again goes out and he begins to deceive the nations. And though Christ sits on a throne for a thousand years, he'll go out and start telling people, God's not really good. He's really kept y'all from doing all the stuff you were meant to do. Really, you were supposed to be God's. And he'll use those same lies that he uses on us. And he'll get himself an army. The Bible doesn't say how many. It just says they will be as thick as the sand of the sea. Like they're going to come and they're going to surround God. This is Satan's final attempt. And the Bible sets it up again like there's going to be this huge battle as they surround Jesus. They surround the throne. And then again in an instant it's over. Fire falls from heaven and the armies are taken out. 
And that's, that's it. That's the power of God on display. Listen to this. The battle of Armageddon and the battle that we just talked about, the battle of Gog and Magog, where Satan does everything he can to overthrow Satan. Listen, your Bible, your Bible gives those two battles three verses. That's how small of a thing it is for God. Only, only three verses. It's just like, yeah, they tried this, but it didn't happen. So once again, I ask what side am I on and what side are we all on? Are we on the side of the God of all power, of glory and honor and love who has the right to rule or are we on the side of the deceiver? Because when that time comes, you notice once again, there's no middle ground, just as there's no middle ground today. And the sad thing is, is that as you sit here one way or another, you've made your decision about which side you're on. You are either a worshiper and a follower of the one true God are you are living a life of following the deceiver. There is no middle ground in this. But here's the secret of Revelation is we know the future. And that helps us to choose how we live in the present. I think back to across time, what if I had known the future? What if I had known the future in 2010? Only 12 years ago. What, what if in 2010 I could see the future? I had a book that told me from God this is what's going to happen. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, well, what would it be like to know the future? Just 12 years ago, I went back. 12 years ago, something came on the scene called Bitcoin. You may or may not have heard of that. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. I don't understand it. Just, I think of it like stocks. Like the price goes up and down on the supply versus demand uh, axis. Like it's going to change based on how many people want it. In 2010, one Bitcoin, one Bitcoin was worth 10 cents. That means if I had taken a $100 bill, I could have bought 1,000 Bitcoins in 2010. Would have been basically useless. Nobody wanted them in 2010. 2010, though, I could have done that. I could have spent $100 of my money instead of going out for a weekend or getting a hotel room. I could have put that in Bitcoin. What if I had known the future? What if I could look forward to 2022? What if I could look forward to 12 years in the future? That 1,000 Bitcoin is worth a little over $28 million today. What would I have done? What would I have changed if I had looked and said, I know that one day this thousand Bitcoin will be worth $28 million. I would have changed the way I lived. I would have sold my truck. I would have sold my dog. I would have sold my mom for very cheap. <laughs> like, I, like I, would have, I would have sold everything because one day, one day I knew it was gonna pay off for me. And, and how dumb of it would have been to, for me to be like, nah, I know how this is gonna end, but I'm not gonna invest in it. And when we look at Jesus and we look at these battles of the future, we know what side is going to win. We have that same ability to choose to oppose him or to choose to follow him, knowing what the future is. We must choose to follow him. But if you don't, if you say, I don't want that in my life, I don't want him to be king of my life, like I'll go to church, I'll kind of clean my act up a little bit, but I don't want to truly follow him, the Bible tells you your future as well. Still in chapter 20, listen to this. This is verses 11 through 20. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. That's God sitting on this throne, God the Father. And I saw the dead. The dead are all people who are not Christians, because at this time, Christians have been resurrected. We are no longer dead. We are alive. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. We've already talked about that. The book of life is the list of believers. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written on the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the Bible lays out that after Satan gives his final attempt to overtake God and he is thrown into the, the lake of fire, there's a great white throne. And every person who is still dead, every person who did not believe in God, they will stand before God and there's going to be two books and they're going to look in the book of the Lamb's, or the Lamb's book of life. And they're going to say, okay, your, your name is not in this book. And so because it's not in this book, you will be judged out of this book. And out of this other book, Every sin that you have ever committed will be read. Every lie that you've told, every time you mistreated somebody, every person that you've slept with, every fight that you've had, every time you sat at Ramsey Heights and you refused to acknowledge your need for salvation from a true and mighty God and a righteous judge will say that you are guilty. And the future is that you will be cast in that lake of fire with Satan who you fall. You might be thinking, Brian, that kind of runs Sunday. That's not a fun sermon. That's not what I come here for. I really needed some encouragement today. But the truth is that it would be unloving of me to deny that. It would be unloving of me to say, oh, we're going to sketch over that part because it's hard because that's what the future holds. So I want to finish today by just saying this like David Platt did. Let me ask you two questions and I can tell you your future beyond a shadow of a doubt based on what the Bible says. Question number one is when you die, what's going to happen to you? And I hope everybody in here answers, I'm going to heaven. That's what we all hope for. Most people think that's the default. That's not what the scripture says. Everybody thinks, everybody wants, everybody hopes to go to heaven. So let me ask you the second question. Why are you going to heaven? And if your answer is anything other than because Jesus Christ died for me and I accepted him as my savior, I can tell you your future. Your future is you will stand in front of that throne of God and he will say, depart from me because I didn't know you. It won't be good enough to say, I taught Sunday school. It won't be good enough to say, I'm a pastor. It won't be good enough to say, I went to church. It won't be good enough to say, I was baptized. Jesus Christ is the only answer. And so there you have it. Straight from the scripture, your future laid out. But here's the good news, is if you can't answer Jesus Christ, paid it all for me, and I accepted him as my savior, that can change in an instant. Your future is not set until the moment you take your last breath. And today, you can change that future if you need to. I would love for this to be the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I would love for this to be the day that you come to know him and you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know my future, I will be with him and I can rest in my salvation. This is our reflection time. It's time for us to make decisions. It's time for us to worship. Please stand and sing with me.